So, did you watch the new season of Glow yet? I have not. Um, mainly because my girlfriend is out of town and she would be very angry with me oh, if I, see, I watched I it without her. Okay, yeah, because I was I was I figured that would be something that y'all would both enjoy together. Well, yeah, we actually watched the first season with her dad. It was really fun. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out, but at the same time, I've got so much stuff on my plate, stuff that I want to read, stuff that I want to see. It's like, oh my god. I know, and work, making that paper just gets in the way of fun. I know, right? I the sixteen hour work week days are sixteen hour work days are starting to get on my nerves. Why can't we just be independently wealthy for no reason? Yeah. Well, you know what Mike sent out that group me text where, like, <laughs> where he was like, I can't be at home right now, man. I got to go to work. I was like, <laughs> poor people problems. I know, right? And then I, and then I cried on the inside. Nice. So then, I, then I cried <laughs> while sitting at work. No, I, I worked from home a bit today, so that was nice. Oh, oh look at you showing off. Yeah. If that's no. what you want to call it, the amount of stuff that's broken at work, I didn't show anything off. Anyway. Welcome, everybody, to the Tell Me It's a Live podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today, uh, the perfect person who is working to uncover the deep, dark government secrets <laughs> at his workplace. Andrew, how's it going, Andrew? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. You know, those government secrets apparently are either, either the fact that I've found so many data mistakes is the government secret and it wasn't very well hidden, or it's just a smokescreen. Well, I think, I think the government's real secret is that they're pretty much incompetent. I think that's the real secret. Uh, I'm here from the government. I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. The co- <laughs> of all these people, they're like, the cover-up is the government is running all this stuff behind our backs. And everybody's like, the government's like, yeah. Of course we are. That's it. That's <laughs> what it is. It's, the, it's not that we can't even run the DMV. <laughs> no. It's this grand conspiracy that involves hundreds of people. Yeah. The moon is alive. <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. The moon is real, it's just hollow. Oh, okay. That's full of Nazis. It's full of Nazis, of course. Have you seen seen the documentary Iron Sky? (laughs) I thought that was Iron Sky 2, Electric It hasn't come out yet. (laughs) What? But Uh, allegedly it it is supposed to come out, and it's supposed to tackle the Nazis that are in the hollow earth. Yeah, I was about to say, with the trailer, with the her riding the dinosaur, I was like, come it's, on, man. It hasn't, it hasn't come out yet. Blame Finland. It's a Finnish film, technically. Those Finns. Oh, my no, gosh. Right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, speaking of places that are far away from home, we're talking about the Pac-12 this week. So the Pac-12, obviously, the West Coast Conference, a lot of times they get overshined, partially because they're... A four hours out of our own time, our normal time slot on the East Coast, where everybody else watches football, and partially because they probably have the most parity out of any of the conferences, in my mind. Would you agree with that, Andrew? Yeah, I can see that. I think the other thing that hurts them is they really, really botched the distribution of the Pac-12 network. They, I think, I've read a lot of articles about this recently. My understanding is. They jumped on it too early because they were ready to go. As soon as they got an offer, they took it, but that was a poor decision. It was a trend-setting decision, but it was a poor decision. That's kind of what I've been reading, too, is that they didn't do a really good job at partnering with, like, an ESPN or a Fox, which the SEC Network and the Big Ten Network did to an extent. and I guess uh, they're not a Notre Dame or a... Texas, and they couldn't quite pull that off. No, plus, if I remember correctly, and send me a mean email, but 
like seventy percent of the country's population lives east of the Mississippi. Yeah, that like, sounds about like, right. And so it's you're going to be tough. You know that ten o'clock Pac-12 after dark game. That's usually really exciting, but for an old man like me, I can get like the first quarter in, and then it's bedtime. I mean, yeah, I, you got to deal with the facts are facts, man. I mean, the biggest location is basically California. Yeah. Then out there, you know, you just don't have as much viewership as there's not nothing's out there. But anyway, let's talk about some people that were willing to go out there and risk their careers on some very interesting choices. So the Pac-12 has got five new coaches, which is pretty big. I'm pretty sure that's the biggest number of any conference, but I'm not willing to check my sources on that. So I might be wrong. Well, I'm thinking I can think of three in the SEC. Yeah. No, four in the SEC. Yeah. Is that it? Arkansas. Yeah. Mississippi State. Yeah. Florida. Ole Miss. Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Okay. That's five. Five. Yeah. But the, tied, but, tied but, but I mean, the, the, Ole, the Ole Miss was they hired the interim guy, and the Mississippi State went open because that guy took the Florida job. So. Yeah. I, I mean, eh, I don't know. It's These are, to my understanding, these are all completely new coaches. And some of which came out of the Cristobal is not. Cristobal, you're right. Okay. Cristobal is the questionable one. So, I mean, but yeah. Tied for the most, the most. I'm not... They, they had a lot of them. I'm not, I'm not that into research, so let's just get down to it. We're going to start with... Andrew, you know more about coaches than I do, so I'm going to be deferring to you a lot on this. But let's start with Arizona State. Arizona State hired Herm Edwards, which... I hear a lot of people giving Herm crap about how he's not going to be able to turn this program around. But I think their real problem isn't with Herm Edwards. I think the problem is the fact that Arizona State decided to fire their previous head coach just to bring on a guy like Herm. It seemed like a really weird choice to a lot of people. I mean, he's got two decades of NFL uh, experience. He did turn around their recruiting efforts right at the end of, the, of this year, or the start of this year, rather which was fascinating because I think that was a lot of people were criticizing him on his ability to recruit. And, of course, he's very charismatic. He's a good guy. He's got a lot of experience. Personally, I like him a lot just from what I've seen from him on TV, but I don't know him as a coach. So what are your thoughts on this choice by Arizona State? Um, so I can understand why they let go of Todd Graham. You know, he, he started out hot, 8-5, 10-4, 10-3. His past three years have been six and seven, five and seven, seven and six. I know there was a lot of from what I've heard from Arizona State fans. There was some turmoil and some some backroom issues with him and the AD that they just didn't really get along. I think it was a new AD. It wasn't the AD that hired him, if I remember correctly. And so I think he just decided he wanted to make a change, and this was what he wanted to do. Now you know Herm hasn't been on a sideline since two thousand and eight. I think give or take was the last time he. Actively right. coach. Yeah, he's an old so, guy. He's an old school guy. You know, it's yeah. but yeah, I mean, he's definitely a guy who, you know, very charismatic. You know, was a great commentator on TV. I think connects well with players. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to really, not so much understand them, but just be able to talk with them and and get them to buy in. Well, and to feel. And again, you see that with how he turned the recruiting around. He got ten four star recruits once he joined up, which was surprising. Uh, I'm going off Bill Connolly on that one. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were worried that when he took over, that since he didn't have a lot of experience with college, all his experience had been in the NFL, that he wasn't going to be able to recruit. He wasn't going to be able to connect with these guys. 
as a older dude who runs old school offenses and stuff. I just don't see that. I mean, you see him going to all these press conferences and all these meetings and all these speeches, and he seems to really connect with players on a really good level. Yeah, I think that's... And the interesting thing that I remember reading was part of what they were trying to do when they brought him in is they wanted to structure their coaching staff more along the lines of an NFL staff. I think they really talked about Herm coming in, not as much being an X's and O's guy who was on there a lot, you know, who was really down in the weeds, but almost more of a CEO type, manage the program, recruit, do a lot of that, and allow a lot of his assistants and his coordinators to really handle a lot of the football side of it. Or the the on-the-field X's and O's scheme side of it. You know, and, and you have some coaches that are a little more of a CEO than a scheme guy. Dabo Sweeney is one that always comes to mind. You know, right. great recruiter, great you – know, I, I love Dabo. I'm a huge Dabo fan. Clemson fans don't at me. And But he's a guy who's definitely more known as a recruiter, a, you know, a manager, more so than an X's and O's guru like a Gus Malzahn or well, – I mean- there's nothing wrong with that. No, I think I think you you know different strokes can be successful at different universities I depending mean. on the buy-ins, depending on yeah. you know I mean to an extent I think Saban's taken a little more of a hands-off recently because he doesn't he doesn't have to he, he doesn't trusts need he, he to has be. good and can yeah, trust yeah, good yeah. assistance and that's really gonna be I think Herm's question is the assistants he brought in and what are they able to do now I remember hearing a story that one of the things the AD had hoped for is. Bringing her in would allow them to keep some staff continuity. Keep you know the coaches they had had, just change the man up top. That that doesn't work. That's nope. that's not really going to happen. <laughs> so he lost his offensive and his defensive coordinator. So he's got some new guys coming in. You know they've got Nikhil Henry, the wide receiver, who <laughs> Duke can play. <laughs> I mean he he's going to be a first round pick next year. Six oh, four, man. big body. Regardless of what happens on yeah. the field, you know. You know the quarterback's back. They've got. Three starting offensive linemen. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys coming back from a team that went seven and six. You know, so they really didn't bottom out like an Oregon State or a Kansas. You know, they just went seven and six. I guess the question compared to the rest of the league, other than maybe Colorado, I think they're getting out talented at every other program. And Herm is more you might disagree with me on this. Herm has always struck me as more of a defensive-minded coach. I believe he is. And he is a very old-school kind of offensive guy, and that's the other thing I've heard concerns about is, well, he's going to bring us back to run the ball, kind of old-school style, you know, in-the-trenches warfare kind of thing, and people worry about that in the Pac-12 because I can't think of a single team in the Pac-12 that really does that. Uh, See, well, I agree with you. When you look at the guy he brought in, to be his OC, who was actually was on Arizona State staff, so he at least kept some continuity. Yeah. But, you know, the guy was at Kansas. He was at Cal. You know, I mean, he's definitely a, an air raid spread well, type guy. So I don't think – I don't. It dep- I guess it depends on how hands-off he's really going to be. Yeah, and again, to your point, if he's just letting the guy have play, then, yeah, for all I know, they could just run five wide all day. I, I think, which, I mean, it's pretty much what they did under Tiger anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting hire. You know, obviously, if you subscribe to the the idea of, of no publicity, you know, 
there's no such thing as bad publicity as long as you're getting publicity. I mean, it's obviously done that. Well, like I said, not hurting them in recruits. I mean, that's I think to me that's the key thing. Now, do I think they're going to get a lot of results in the first year? Probably not. But again, that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Kerm is a bad coach. It has more to do with the fact that, again, in the South, they just don't have the talent to compete with a USC or like a UCLA or even maybe a Utah. They just can't seem to – they don't have the same level of talent. Out yeah, there. Arizona's in a weird place because Arizona high school football's – it's not great. Like, there is some talent that comes out of Arizona. You know, it's not a bone-dry state like an Oregon or some other. I mean, it may be actually about like an Oregon, but there is some talent in some places in Arizona. But, I mean, they're going to make a living in California. I mean, that's pretty much what everyone in the Pac-12 does. Yeah. And so that's really going to be the how can he connect. And, again, I don't think he's going to beat a USC on a California kid. Probably not going to beat a UCLA. But, you know, if he's good enough that he can beat Cal or he can beat Washington every now and again. Yeah, if he can beat Arizona. Arizona, which, you know, that's another – which you know, I'm sure we'll jump to them in a second. You know, they're another new coach who's known as a really good – that's the thing is both Arizona schools, I think, hired guys looking at the recruiting side of things a little bit more than necessarily everything else. I don't know. Um, let's move on to the Arizona team because I did want to touch on them next. And, I mean, you're right. Uh, Arizona picks up Texas A&M's uh, – drop-off in Kevin Sumlin. Uh, sadly, uh, sadly, Artem couldn't be here with us today. Otherwise, I'm sure he would badmouth him to the end of time. <laughs> but, yeah, Kevin Sumlin's an interesting guy in my mind because I don't think he's a bad coach. He certainly did some great things with Texas A&M considering they were in the SEC West where it was basically you're going to lose to Alabama every year and who knows what else is going to happen. So, I mean, he wasn't a bad guy. Like you said, he was really good at getting uh, talented uh, people to come to his program. He's probably got, and we could argue about this all day, but probably the best QB prospect in the league right now uh, with uh, Khalil Tate. And, I mean, he's got the potential. We saw what happened the last time he had a great QB prospect with Johnny football. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of parallels when it's him coming into this Arizona job where it's a good conference. He's probably not the best team, but he's looking to turn around, bring in good recruits and make it a powerhouse in that division in the South. Uh, so you see a lot of similarities between this job and Texas A&M. What are your thoughts? You said you mentioned that Kevin someone you're looking at him as being more of an infrastructure guy is what it sounded like. Yeah, I think I think someone's a guy again. He's a really good recruiter. Um, you know, he was he was a decent OC. He spent some time at, at Oklahoma under under Bob Stoops. He was OC for a year, coaching tight ends. Um, I, I want to say he's a he he spent some time with Joe Tiller at Purdue, which Tiller was one of the first real spread guys. I mean, right. that's what Tiller did with Drew Brees at Purdue. Well, that's was really bring a lot of the spread ideas and concepts into into the game. So, I mean, it's definitely... <laughs> well, and that's why Purdue still, to this day, has some of the better quarterbacks that end up transferring to other programs. Or coming um, from other programs. Yeah, go figure. You know, but I think someone's biggest problem is he had two really good years early at A&M. He went 11-2 and two and 9-4. and four. And then 8-5, 8-5, and 8-5. And Artem and I, I think, have argued over and over again about this. I don't necessarily 
think letting someone go was the best decision because I think A&M fell into that trap that a lot of the SEC has fallen into where everyone's chasing Nick Saban. Yeah. Well, they fell into the 9-3 hole, like Nebraska, like Georgia. Now, I, it just kind of comes into who are you going to hire to fill their place. I don't think Jimbo Fisher's a bad hire. No, I think Fisher's, especially with, with him wanting to get out of Tallahassee, I think it's a fine hire. Now, the amount of money they're paying him is insane. Oh, but no, it's ridiculous. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, he brought he brought Noel Mazzone, Mazzoni, his OC from, from A&M with him, so that'll be some continuity there. You know, I like Khalil Tate. I think he's a really good quarterback. I'm not exactly sure how he's going to fit in the NFL. I, I didn't watch a lot of Arizona games last year just because they're all late or they're on the Pac-12 network, so they're really hard to get a hold of. He's a lot – so in my mind, and again, we could have continuous discussions about this, he's like a RG3 or like a Russell Wilson in my mind. Those are two very different quarterbacks. I think I think the reason RG three was different was because he got injured so badly. Well, oh, I I think they ran in very different style offenses and did very different things. Okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, if I had to choose one, I'd say he's more of an RG. I do too. I mean, I think I think he's. he's I that. I just I wanted to pick somebody who was good, so I could be like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. he has a chance. I mean, RG three won a Heisman Trophy in college, and this is a college football podcast, so it's, to me, that's fine. Yeah, it's just that he fell off after he graduated. But, yeah, you know, that that happens. You know, I mean, the thing to me is, you look at Arizona's numbers last year. They ran the ball 613 times and they threw the ball 295 times. I mean, that's a fairly unbalanced run-pass ratio. How you many know, of those rushes were from the quarterback, though? Because I feel 153. like 153. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, again, it's hard to break down a called pass scramble versus a called run because we haven't watched the tape, and I don't believe. I, the stats and I have some disagreements on how those are counted. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but I, I think it's—I mean, it's, I think it's a great coach-quarterback combination. I think he's going to be able to get a lot of good things out of Khalil Tate. The question is, again, how much are you really going to be able to compete with USC? You know, what is your goal? Is it to be a national powerhouse and compete with USC, which is really, really tough to do, or do you want to be that number two team? You know, that wins ten games a year goes to the Holiday Bowl, and maybe every now and a year again when USC slips up, plays in a Pac-12 title game. Well, that's the tough thing for someone, because I think someone, unlike with Herm at Arizona State, Herm's job is to kind of keep the program afloat and then build them up. I think a lot of people are expecting someone to step in here and actually see some immediate results, because... He definitely has the talent, and yeah. he's definitely a good coach. Yeah, so. I mean, there's, there's definitely a ton of talent coming back. You know, I think outside of Khalil Tate, they get two offensive linemen and then most of their skill position players. They only lose two starters on defense. Excuse me. You know, I mean, they're, there's talent. Well, yeah, and I'm like – I'm looking at a lot of people who are saying they're like in the fourth tier. I'm like, no, nah, Arizona – could absolutely compete with a few upsets this oh, year. I mean, I 100% believe that they could easily finish second. Again, the question becomes, can they beat USC? You know, uh, you know I mean, that's really the, that's the question you're going to ask in the South time and time and time again. But, yeah, I'm looking at their schedule. I mean, BYU off is not a bad deal. At, at Houston, Southern Utah, at Oregon State – I mean, that's a whole lot building up to USC, so I mean... So, he was able to keep the defensive coordinator in Marcel Yates. Yeah. So, that's really going to be interesting to see 
again, co- staff continuity. I think that's really helpful in a lot of in a lot of cases. I do think their schedule works up pretty well because they've got those two really easy games to build up to USC. So I think they. I mean, I think the Houston game is really going to be their first big challenge in yeah. Houston. Well, and also they get USC at home. I mean, Houston's a big deal, yes, but it's not in conference, so they could still theoretically lose that game and not worry about the conference championship. I mean, yeah, it'll probably hurt you on a national title run, but I'm not sure Arizona should be worried about that. They should just be focused on conference championship daily. Um, We're going to get to Washington in a few, but... Yeah, I mean, other than that, I think their schedule works out pretty well for them. It's the USC game at home, and it's the UCLA game on the road, and maybe Utah. I think I think the game in Utah is really going to be a rough one, and I think I think the game against Oregon. I think Oregon's going to be a pretty good team this year. Okay, well, I mean, that's a possibility. Do you want to go ahead and talk about Oregon in that case? Yeah, we can talk about Mario Cristobal. I don't know about as much about him as you do. I know about the Oregon program. Obviously, since Chip Kelly left, they haven't really been lacking for talent, but they just haven't been able to turn it into anything. I think Mario Cristobal is obviously coming back to the program. He has ties to there. Um, I think he just moved up from a coordinator position. He's the offensive line coach, co-offensive coordinator. So, yeah, and I mean, he did do some impressive things at FIU, but... What what should we actually expect out of Oregon this year with him at the helm? It's going to be interesting because I've seen two different schools of thoughts on it. I've seen the school of thought where this was a panic hire, where Oregon saw you know saw Willie Taggart leave and oh my god oh my god who do we hire who do we hire, and they hired the guy that was there because they knew the players would buy in. They again you would keep staff continuity. You know, he, he had two good years at FIU, 7-6, and 8-5. and five. I think he was the coach at FIU when they fought Miami. Yes. Literally. Yes. And not, like, played a good game and lost. No, no, no. They, yeah. Literally oh, fought Miami. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's what I, I get what you're saying. But you for know, the listeners, yes, that happened. You know, he, he did the obligatory, you know, coach's rehab stint at Alabama under Nick Saban, like guys are known to do. Well, Which right. I'm sure is great, and he probably learned a lot being with Saban. He's a great recruiter. You know, Cristobal, again, very personable guy from what I've heard. You know, played played offensive line at Miami. I think spent some time as a coach at Miami. You know, a, a South Florida guy, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of tap into some of those South Florida roots to help with Oregon. Because Oregon's a team that has recruited fairly nationally. Well, they got that big, that big Nike sponsorship. People love that. <laughs> Daddy Knight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, the other thing we forget about Oregon is Oregon went six and one last year with Justin Herbert before he got hurt. Before he got hurt, you know, their <laughs> their, their their biggest replacement obviously is losing Royce Freeman at running back, who was really a, a stalwart in the backfield. They've recruited well. I think the talent's going to be there. You know, they've got some offensive linemen. They've got to replace. They've got a fi- they've got to find a running back. They've got to find some receivers. You know, the defense wasn't great last year. I think it was better than the year before. Jim Levitt, uh, former South Florida coach, is yeah, their D.C. But Oregon's focus has never been on the defense anyway. The Pac-12's focus has never been on defense outside of Stanford. Eh, and so, Washington to an extent. More so than the Big 12. Well, but. <laughs> I mean, that's really not that hard to, outside of TCU. <laughs> yeah, okay. But no, 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 yeah. I guess my point is Oregon has always been the shoot 'em up offense where it's like, we're going to score. You might score 50. 
but we're going to score 60. And yeah, that's all that, that week four game against Stanford in Oregon will be a kind of a big. You're not going to learn a lot against Bowling Green, Portland State, or San Jose State. Yeah, but again, they're they're looking at they get Stanford at home. Or? Yeah, okay. it's in Eugene. So I think if they can stay healthy, I I can see them competing in that division. They get they get Washington at home as well. And Austin, Austin Stadium is a pretty pretty loud, pretty rough place. So it'll just be interesting how, again, it's it's all about staying healthy, Justin Herbert progressing as a quarterback, and finding a couple of skill position replacements. Do you think Jonathan Smith needs to see results this year? Um, At Oregon State? No, sorry. Sorry. Do you think Mario Cristobal needs I do. I think, I think he's got to make a step up from their 7-6 and six season last year. Okay. I think Oregon's not a school who's going to accept a lot of seven, six-win seasons in a row. So he probably needs to move up to a eight or nine Probably win. eight or nine wins. Yeah. You know, com- again, somewhat competing for the division. That's pretty reasonable. I mean, considering the North is the harder division. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, just because you've got to either face Stanford or Washington, sometimes Washington State. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, but yeah, I, I guess my thing is how how focused does Mario Cristobal need to be? Uh, well, let's get the easy one out of the way because I'm still not sure what to make of Chip Kelly. Uh, Jonathan Smith and Oregon State, also one of the most generic names on the planet. He was a QB who led Oregon State to 11 wins in one season. That was basically what I got when I Googled him. Is like that's the coaching highlight. Way to go. He's stepping into his first head coaching role after leading the OC position at Washington under Peterson. And I do think that means a lot because Peterson is a fantastic coach. He's done a lot when he was at Boise State. He's obviously done a lot of great things at Washington. That's all that in mind. (laughs) Oregon State does not have talent. They do not really have facilities. They have been by far the worst team in the Pac-12 the past decade probably. Um... Andrew, how long do we need to give Jonathan Smith to turn this program around? I think they're kind of in the same the same long rebuild. So like five or six years is what you're telling me. Again, I've, I've always and will always say a coach should get five years because it gives them a full set of recruiting classes. Now, obviously, if, if there's – you know, if you inherit a program that won 10 games and you tank the next year, that's different. Yeah. But I think especially in some of these positions where you're stepping into where there is rebuilds, you got to give the guy time. I think I think being a Peterson guy is really going to help because well, uh, he's learning me, how to build programs with not necessarily the same amount of resources as everyone else. Well, let me change the tone of the question because I think you're taking it from a media standpoint. I didn't mean how long until Oregon State should fire him. I mean... <laughs> If he had an infinite amount of years to turn Oregon State around, where would you put the flag as to saying... Year four. I think if, if he's not in a bowl game by year four. Okay. Huh. All right. That's fair. So you think you think he's got enough recruiting talent that he could potentially make get make a bowl game? Yeah, again, that'll, I mean, that'll give him three full recruiting classes. So it'll, the team will be mostly his guys. Okay. And I think it'll be interesting because... Boise State really made a name for themselves signing a lot of these under-the-radar California kids. That's what they were really good at. That's what Peterson was really good at. And so it'll be interesting to see how much of that Smith can carry over to an Oregon State program that 
for all intents and purposes, is a lot like Boise State. Yeah, it's got Pac-12 money, but it's it's the little brother where it is. It's kind of off the beaten path. It mm-hmm. competes with some better programs around it. Well, I think personally they could pull what Kansas State does, and they could just pull a lot of junior college guys. Now, I'm not as familiar with that area, but it seems like that would be the most sensible thing. You you could do that. The The problem is you get into that junior college cycle, and you can kind of screw yourself a little bit because you don't really develop a lot of long-term depth right. or continuity, and that can create problems. You're almost – you sign JUCO players to fill – holes you need filled this year and next year. I think if you get in too deep to a real long term, because even Snyder doesn't juco as much as he used to at Kansas State. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did it for a long time to pull that program out of the mud, like the deepest mud you could possibly be in. It's not named Northwestern. Right. And, you know, it could be a good kind of, especially because California's got a really robust junior college System, yeah. Well, that's my thing. And so that would that would be an interesting place to really look at if if that's what he wanted to do. But again, it's going to be a long rebuild. That's kind of what you've got to sit and see is you got to give the guy time and and I think they're in a place where he'll get that kind of time. I don't I don't think Oregon State it is obviously they're not in a real win now. This has to happen now, kind right. of. Unless he gets into a fight with the AD. I mean, they have no reason not to give him the time. And he's a hometown hero. What with that 11-win season, which, I mean, I don't know enough about Oregon State, but that seems like a big deal from their history because that was, like, one of the big news stories. And that was the year they whipped Notre Dame. I remember watching that Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> um, you know, his, his OC is a guy that he brought over from Colorado, which, you know, Colorado's been a bit of a spread team. Yeah. You know, yeah. Back, back to when the head guy was at San Jose State. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes he he kind of puts together. He's, you know, he's won some stuff. You know, he coached pretty good quarterbacks at Colorado. So it'll kind of be, again, I mean, Oregon State's just, especially, you know, they're in a tough place because of where they are. They're in a tough place because you've got such a powerful big brother school. Or held the entire division, really. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the division doesn't help. <laughs> and again, I mean, it's... And, and the thing is, we've, we've had years where we've seen that Oregon State can be competitive. You know, Dennis Erickson put together some competitive Oregon State teams. Mike Riley put... Mike, Mike Riley turned the Oregon State job into oh, the no. Nebraska job. I, I'm not... I'm certainly not saying that Oregon State can't be good. I'm just like... They've been so bad for so long, they've kind of become the whipping boy. I'm, I'd like to see them not be Kansas. I do, I do hope they give them the time. I don't see why they wouldn't. But we'll, we'll see. This is all – I wish I had more to say about his scheme or, like, what he's doing out there. But they're just going to be bad, man. I don't see the point yeah, of getting it's gonna into it. <laughs> it's going to be a rough rebuild. They've got a pretty good tight end, apparently. Uh, you know, they – Wow. They're apparently having a lot of issues selling tickets. Well, I wonder why. No one wants to go to the... Well, yeah, because, I mean, you have Oregon... I, if I remember correctly, Oregon and Oregon State are like an hour apart. Yeah. When Oregon's right there, nobody's going to want to go to Oregon State. Well, and also nobody wants to go to a loser, so, I mean... That's sorry. always going yeah. to hurt you. Again, sorry any of our Oregon State fans. I mean, it's, it sucks. We, we live in Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't support teams that lose. Uh, yeah, Georgia Tech. Yeah, The yeah. Hawks. The Hawks. <laughs> the Hawks. 
Oh, the Thrashers. I feel bad for them. Anyway. Um, okay, the coach that we held for last. So, Chip Kelly, familiar face of the Pac-12. Um, he did not really find a lot of success in the NFL. I think he found more success than people give him credit for, considering his first few seasons with the Eagles. But, yeah, obviously not as much as he was hoping for. So, now he's back in college. He's come to a UCL team... And maybe this is just my opinion. They weren't bad, per se, but they were certainly underachieving a lot for the amount of talent they were pulling in consecutively over and over and over again. So Chip Kelly's learned to, looking to return UCLA to prominence. Other than that, I don't know what to say. Because we, I think we all have a general understanding of what kind of system Chip Kelly's going to run at that program if he continues to run the same one they did in the NFL and the day he did at Oregon. But I don't know what he's going to do with this talent because UCLA really hasn't been, has, isn't used to running that type of system. And in a way, I feel like they're kind of a more, at least in the past, they've been more of a defensive-focused team than I've seen out of Kelly. Obviously, Andrew, you understand... You've been a fan of him for a while. You understand his mindset better than I possibly could. What is he bringing to this UCLA team? The thing about Chip Kelly is he's one of those guys where, and I think you, I think this is you see this with a lot of teams. Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, Gus Malzahn at Auburn. That that I mean, their whole goal is how many plays can we run a game. I mean, they are tempo, 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 tempo. And Kelly's a guy where that permeates every part of his program. You know, one of the great things that he did at Oregon is they were who they were. And they knew who they were, and that's who they were going to be. They weren't going to try to do anything that wasn't them, and they were going to focus wholly on this is what we want to do. We want to run as many plays as we can. We want to be fast. We want to be tempo. We want to hurry, 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 hurry. And so that's what he's going to bring. I mean, that's what they're probably going to be at UCLA. Now, the first year, probably not going to be up to the level that he really wants them to be because that's a tough thing to change in one year, especially, like you said, where the culture there hasn't been that kind of tempo, 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 tempo kind of culture. Well, and it's really easy when you bring in a bunch of kids and you're like, this is what I'm going to do and we're going to win when we do this. It's a lot harder when you come to a program that has all these kids that were brought in expecting certain liberties or certain like things out of the program and then you're saying no we're going to do what i want to do now and get with the program or get out and i mean obviously it didn't work in the nfl i don't think that you're dealing with the same kind of personalities as that with students at ucla but certainly all these talented recruits were not exactly expecting to run chip kelly's offense when they went there yeah, but it's it's an offense that's going to be exciting enough. And and as long as you score points and win games, win games honestly more than score points, a lot of times it doesn't really matter. And that's what's going to be really interesting is, is if he can get a lot of these guys to buy and there's going to be a quarterback battle. They signed the number two dual threat player in the country last year in Dorian Thompson Robinson. So him coming in, I don't know if he was an early enrollee or not. So that'll be kind of, if he, if he was, that's obviously going to help him get a leg into the, the scheme. If he's not going into fall camp. It's tough to come in as a quarterback and win a fall camp starting job just because you're you're so much. With a new coach, you're fortunately not as far behind as a guy who's been there a couple of years. 
But that'll be one of their big questions. The defense, you know, he brought in a guy that he's known for a long time, spent some time with him in Philadelphia. But again, like you said, they're really not big on defense. I mean, they're a defense that get enough stops, do what you need to do. You know, they're, they're D.C. that they had for a long time. Um, and his name just – I've met the man. Um, I can't help you, man. I actually, inter- actually interviewed with him for a job. Uh, oh, Nick, well, Nick, Nick Aliotti. Okay. Nick Aliotti the, was the longtime D.C. at Oregon. And, and was really – he was good enough. You know, he had them good enough. And, again, it's when you've got such a deep cultural ideal of tempo, 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 you have to have coaches on the other side of the ball that can understand that and that can buy into that and can help kind of build a defense that may not be the best defense, may not be this defense, that defense, but it's a defense that complements what you're trying to do offensively really well. Right, right. And that's the key in a lot of places. So that'll be a big question. You know, UCLA's got talent, although, you know, four and eight and six and seven the past two years. They lost Josh Rosen, who obviously is a really good player. Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so obviously replacing a guy like that's going to hurt. But, you know, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to be the big question at, at quarterback. Is if he, can, if he steps in and wins that job, how much does Kelly trust him to? You know, Oregon, because of that tempo, you know, they're a team that checks the line a lot. Be that, you know, they hold up the signs and the quarterback looks and checks what they tell him. Or with a guy like Marcus Mariota, who knew enough and was talented enough that he, he was could just, check. He, he was could make going. He could yeah. make his own checks. He knew what he could do. Which, Mike Leach does that same kind of thing at Washington State. He's very big on trusting his quarterbacks to make checks and to see what they're seeing and to make plays. Right. Which we can talk about that when we get to Washington State. But, uh, again, I am with you kind of like, it's a question. There's a lot that I don't know about what Chip Kelly's going to be able to do. The other thing is he really made a living at Oregon recruiting the state of Texas. He signed a lot of really good players out of Texas, arguably violating a lot of rules while doing it too, hence the reason he had an 18-month show cause letter. But, so it'll be interesting to see how, A, if he can open any of those pathways again into Texas – as well as how well he can really dive into the California recruiting areas. It'll be interesting to see. I guess my thing is, normally I'm interested to see how a program reacts when they don't see immediate results. Chip Kelly has been under a lot of pressure to get results out of his system. I'm kind of curious if he doesn't see some quick results at UCLA, if he himself will get frustrated. After spending all that time in the NFL and catching all the flack for the system he runs. You know, it's an interesting... That transition from college to the NFL, as a head guy, is always a really dicey kind of thing. A lot of the problems that I've always heard... Uh, I've heard this is what got Steve Spurrier with the Redskins. I've heard this is really got what is what got Nick Saban with Miami. in Miami, is these, these college coaches come in and they're used to the college culture. They're used to you control everything. They're used to, you know, these kids look up to you. These kids see you as this father figure. These kids do all this. And then you go to the NFL, and these these players are making more money than you are Yeah. a lot of times. And you can't run an NFL program the same way you run a college yeah, program. Exactly. I think one of the reasons that Pete Carroll has been so successful in Seattle is that I feel he ran USC like an NFL program. I feel like he wasn't very overbearing. He wasn't... A punishment guy. He was a, we're here to win games. Let's do this. 
Well, and also I think part of that plays to the USC mentality where everybody already thinks they're a star and that's why they're there. Yeah, well, the other, you know, I've always talked to guys in college, you know, a guy misses class, a guy screws up, a guy breaks rules, you got to run him, you got to punish him. In the NFL, you just find him. Well, the problem with that is also, and you're seeing that like with training camp and shit. You know, you you miss training camp in uh, college football like you're, you're you no no you 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 don't miss camp in college football. But guess what? If you do that in the NFL, it's just like oh well. I yeah, guess we need to re- now. We got to pay you more. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's just a... the culture is so different that I think a lot of it, a lot of head guy. You know, I mean, to my mind, Carroll's probably the 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 success story. I mean, I'm thinking of guys that we've seen that have made that jump. Butch Davis couldn't do it. Saban couldn't do it. Spurrier couldn't do it. Chip Kelly probably had more success than those three. I mean, in my mind, <laughs> Pete Carroll is really the success story. I guess my thing with Chip Kelly was that... Jimmy Johnson, but I mean, that's oh, 30 years well, ago. Yeah, 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 you know, I mean, that's 30 years ago. I mean, I guess my thing with Chip Kelly is he had more success than people give him credit for, but people will never give him credit for it. And he... the, the NFL is just such a different game, too. Yeah. Anyway. We got to get back to college football. So my intent was to cover all the teams that were changing coaches and then to talk about the good teams. Instead, I'm going to change it up a bit. Uh, We're just going to cover, finish covering up the south since we're already here, and then we're going to move on to the north. So let's start off with, I guess, a team both of us are expecting to win the south in USC. So... I mean, they're the most talented program. They obviously won the South last year. They're a really good program. Personally, I feel like they're going into this year being severely underestimated. Um, I I think that USC is looking at, with a few kind of coin flip games, they could potentially win the conference itself. I mean, it wouldn't be a huge stretch. Granted, they lose Sam Darnold. That's kind of the huge gap that people are going to look to fill. But it's not like... It's not like USC isn't just chock full of talent that can step in. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But, uh, Andrew, you tell me. Yeah, USC's obviously been a program that's always recruited at the top level. Uh, you know, that's what they've been able to do. They lost Darnold. They lost Ronald Jones the second, and they lost a 1,000-yard receiver. But you've got guys stepping into those shoes that are four- and five-star kids, highly recruited, talent uh, oozing all over the place. T. Martin and Clancy Pendergrast are back, the offensive and defensive coordinators, respectively. Clay Helton's going into his fourth year. He's 27-10. and 10. I mean, I, I, I think I remember way back when we first started this podcast, I was all on the Clay Helton bandwagon. Oh, yeah. I thought Helton was a fantastic hire. I thought he got along with the players well. He had some, had some continuity. Was he the one? No, oh. that was Sarkeesian. Oh, damn it. Um, you know, the, the question is who's going to be the starting quarterback is it Matt Fink, who's a sophomore? They had a really highly rated true freshman in JT Daniels. Again, they've got to be the favorite. Week two and week three at Stanford and at Texas back-to-back, I think, are going to be really kind of knee-knocker games. You know, if they win both of those, I think it really sets them them up to make a run. Obviously, losing both of them is not going to be very good. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the defense should get – I've had a lot of respect for Pendergrass. He was the D.C. for the Cardinals when they made the Super Bowl. Really, I and he's oh wow, and he's been a he's been a very multiple front, multiple style defensive guy. Not really married to a a, a base front. He kind of plays a lot of different I th- things. I think that was something that I read up in uh, Bill Connolly's was that yeah he was like our key thing is being able to shift 
to whatever system we're coming up against. That's yeah. really the key. A lot of a lot of adjustments. Again, it's it's a really strong multiple, you know, which is a buzzword system. You know, again, USC recruited well. They signed a guy with a great name, Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm not even gonna try. No, it's are pronounced sure? Amon Ra. Amon Ra, like the Egyptian, sh- like yeah, the Egyptian. Say, is he a pharaoh? What? Well, his his brother, Equiminius Saint Brown, oh, God just God. left Notre Dame and was drafted last year. I actually remember him. He was um, fun. I, if I remember correctly, they they have another brother, um, whose name is Osiris. What the fuck is wrong with this family? Um, I think they're <laughs> extremely wealthy. Oh, okay. Well, um, yes, his brother's name is Osiris. Oh, God. St. Brown. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing wait, where wait, he goes. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I gotta read this. His brother's full name, the one that played at Notre Dame, Equiminius Trist- Tristan Imhotep J. St. Brown. I mean, they went to Matter Day. Um, That's apparently, be... apparently his brother was is fluent in French, German, and English. Um, Osiris plays for Stanford. I mean, it's a really good family. I mean, smart family. They just, they have a pendant for Egyptians. It's got to be the weirdest, like when you're calling into tech support and you're like, can you give me your full name, please? <laughs> I, oh, God damn it. But yeah, you know, his brother's Osiris and Amon Ra. But yeah, he's a great, he was a five-star kid out of Matter Die in California, which is one of the, the schools in California. I think it's the one that Matt Barkley came out of. I'm fairly certain it's the one Tom Brady came out of. I think Tom Brady went to Matter Day. I wouldn't be shocked. I think no, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's a really prestigious program. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the best programs in California. I mean, no, he went to Ginepero Sarah. I was wrong. Another really good private Catholic school in California. <laughs> and then again, California's got really, really good. Um, I wonder. I don't know if Ginepero is that the same Sarah that gave us. Um, Adore Jackson. Funny anecdote. Um, when I was working at Georgia Tech, I actually I was recruiting Adore Jackson for like a week and a half. Good oh, kid. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, I went to Georgia Tech. But I remember trying to get his transcript, and I kept faxing a transcript request to Junipero Serra High School in California. And finally, the lady called me and goes, Sir, that we don't have a student here. There are four different Junipero Serra High Schools in California. Oh, <laughs> wow. Awkward. And so, no, this is not the one that gave us Adore Jackson, but this one did give us Lynn Swan, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Oh. Um, obviously, Tom Brady. Barry Bonds. Um, David Bakatari. Dang, man. But, I mean, I feel like you could look up any, like, fancy high school in, in California. California and be like, oh, yeah, this ha- this all-star guy went Oh, there. yeah, you know, especially the private Catholic schools out there. But uh, back to USC. So I think um, what you're telling me is it sounds like even though they've lost a bit of talent, we're still expecting them to be – I mean, if I'm looking at their schedule. So they've got – their second game is on the road against Stanford. Then they got to go on the road against Texas, which I don't know what the hell to make of that. Um, and then they've got on the road at Arizona and Washington State at home, which is probably not as big a deal as it sounds like. They get Notre Dame at the end of the year, and they get go to UCLA the week before that. So well, I mean, that'll they, be another good pair, they, too. They do go to Utah, too. Yeah, I think that'll be a tough one. Utah's, again, I think a pretty good program. So they've got a tough road schedule. But, I mean, for the most part, I'm not looking at anybody on here and seeing, like, you know, I don't think they can beat that team. 
No, oh. and, and on paper, they should be better than anyone else they play. I mean, just, you know, you hate to say it that way, but talent-wise, they should be better than everyone else on their schedule. I mean, outside of maybe Texas and Stanford. Yeah, Stanford. Notre Dame. Stanford's going to be rough. Arizona, I think, is going to be rougher than they realize. And Notre Dame will be interesting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it always kind of is, though. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to win the South. I don't know. I think they could potentially be a playoff contender, but uh, they're going to have to beat Washington and everybody else. So... Let's finish up in the South. We Next up, Utah. So, dude, I don't know anything about Utah. Utah is one of those teams where it's like they're always better than I think and yet somehow worse than I want them to be. Because I'm always like, maybe this will be the year somebody will knock off USC. But no, nah, nah, never, you're never going to be that good. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, they're, they're a decent team. They're probably going to win eight games in my mind. You know more about them than I do, Andrew. What do you think? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, we make the joke about um, the Kansas Bill, State the winning, Bill Snyder you know, winning winning eight games and not really knowing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Whittingham has put together some great seasons at Utah. They struggled a little when they first joined the Pac-12, but, you know, he won 10 games and won the division in 2015. He went 7-6 and six last year, which is kind of rough for them. The quarterback's back in Tyler Huntley. They're always going to be good defensively. I mean, that's what Whittingham really hangs his hat on is is being a really good defensive team. They you know, they have to go to Stanford, which is going to be tough. They have to go... Wow, that's really their only rough road game. Do they play <laughs> a high school team? Weber State? No, so Weber State is another school in Utah. It's an FCS program in Utah. Oh, okay. They're purple and named the Bobcats. Yeah, well, on here they're called the Wildcats. But oh, okay. yeah, you're right. But uh, they, uh, Weber State made, like, the, the Elite Eight of the SCS tournament last year. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah, they've, they've been a pretty good program. I'm just looking at their helmet, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, um, they upset. They were a 15 seed one year in the NCAA basketball tournament. And beat North Carolina. Oh, well, that's, I mean, only, that that's the only reason I've ever heard of them. That doesn't translate to football unless no. they like. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But <laughs> that's where um, Damian Lillard went. Oh, really? For the Blazers, yeah. Oh. He's a Weber State guy. But yeah, I think Utah will be again. They're probably USC's biggest challenge in the South in my mind. I think I mean, they've got the most coming back, and again, they're they're always going to be sneaky good. They do have a little bit of a rough schedule. The problem, the problem that they have is a lot of these teams have like an intermediate thing. Their crossover is Washington and Stanford. And Washington State. And Washington State. So that's like three of the big boys. And then they have Washington State on the road. they got Stanford on the road. They've got UCLA on the road. And no, nah, I'm not going to throw Arizona State on the road as being a scary game. But, yeah, I mean, that's a... And then they've got the Holy War to end the season. I don't, I don't expect that much out of BYU. No, I don't either. <laughs> I think we talked about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'll be good. I think they can win eight games because I'm counting four that they're definitely going to lose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you throw in some coin flips, they'll be, probably be decent. You and know, I think I think if they can if they get to the Arizona game at three and two. Three and two. Two and three, you mean? Three and two. Three and two, okay. You know, because if they've only lost their Washington Stanford I guess if they end if they if they're four and two coming out of Arizona, I think they've got a really good shot at a bowl game and somewhat competing with USC. I mean, they could potentially see one where they just win their last four games. Uh, uh, that Oregon on the tenth. 
eh, is going to be they a do tough get one. Him, they do get them at home. So. They do. I mean, that'll be a really good kind of toss-up. For yeah, me. there's well, like we said, there's a lot of parody in this, so it's kind of hard to say. You know, which they, way it's a very fall. there's a very strong middle class where the teams that aren't the top teams are all really kind of like the ACC Coastal. They're all relatively the same talent level, and so you could flip a coin half the time when they play. Well, let's talk about a team that's a little bit below the average talent level. Next up is Cal. Um, so, I... Oh, sorry. Yeah, my apologies. I was, I was really Cal is in the north. Cal is in the north. I was, okay, let's talk about one that's definitely below my expectations and talk about Colorado. Ooh, yeah, McIntyre might be on a bit of the hot seat. I don't, I don't think that's a good situation to be in at Colorado. No. Especially this year. Cause, he's, uh, he's only had one winning record. He went 10-4 and four and won the division in 2016, which really kind of surprised the hell out of everybody. It confused everyone. <laughs> but I, I don't know what – I guess my thing is I don't know what caused that because it wasn't like there was a huge – USC ta- was down. Yeah, there just wasn't a huge talent shift. I guess that was the real thing. No, I mean other, it's US, – USC was down and – Utah they, they had went, injuries, yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, they, and you know, credit to them for taking advantage of the hand they were dealt. You know, you don't. I don't want to take anything away from them for winning that division, but yeah, McIntyre's just in in a rough. You know, he's had some off the field issues. You know, he had the assistant with the domestic violence issues that really doesn't look great. Uh, you know, the quarterback's back and Steven Montez, who's a pretty decent little player. You know, he's got some wide receivers back that'll help. But, uh, I mean, the first four games are winnable. Colorado State at Nebraska, New Hampshire. But then, you know, you get into the, the meat of the schedule. They do get Oregon State, which is helpful. Well, so you see, you say winnable, and I'm looking at those, and I'm like, Colorado State could beat them. Oh, I agree. I mean, that's <laughs> that, the Rocky Mountain Showdown that Friday is going to be a pretty good game. I mean, that's not a that's not a – chalk it up as a win game at all. I mean, they could very easily lose. I guess game. that's the thing is, like, they're kind of like us in the sense that the only game that I see that they're for certain going to win is against an FCS team. Oh, well, and maybe Oregon State. Yeah, Oregon and State. And maybe Oregon State. You know, they went 5-7 and seven last year with wins against Oregon State, Cal, and that's it. They beat Colorado State, Texas State, and Northern Colorado – and then beat Oregon State and Cal. Yeah, I mean, if they win against Colorado State and Nebraska, I think they've got an outside chance of making a bowl game. That UCLA game week four, I think, will be a really interesting one, is if they if they can win that one. Well, I mean, to me, it's like they've got to beat – obviously, they've got to beat Oregon State. So they got to win their first three games. Yeah. They obviously have to beat Oregon State. They have to beat Cal. They have to beat Cal, and then they have to win against either Arizona State or UCLA. Or Washington State. I don't... I, I, I am not I as bully on Washington State as you are at all. Look, I know their situation, but I'm still like, I don't... Okay, whatever. Yeah, but they there's a possibility. There's an outside chance. I mean, I, I, think, I think a bowl game saves McIntyre's job. <laughs> I don't know if they fire him unless they bottom out and only win two games. I think if they lose their first three, they, he might be in trouble. I agree. But, Lord, if they lose to New Hampshire, then yes, they are in a lot of trouble. Okay, if they go one and five out of the first six weeks, yeah, I they, think I think he's, a, he's I think gone. he's I think he's a dead man walking. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, 
Now let's go to the north. Okay, so do you want to, since we were about to talk about Cal, do you want to just start there and then work our way to the top? I mean, I guess we're going to put Cal at the bottom. <laughs> well, wait, who would you put at the bottom? Oregon we, State. We already talked about Oregon State. <laughs> Cal, yeah, between we, Cal and Washington State, who would you put at the bottom? Um, I think I'd probably put Washington State. All right, let's talk about Washington State then. I mean, they do have... I think the issue with Washington State is actually the fact that all of the off-field situations, especially the one uh, with their previous quarterback, rest in peace, um, he, yeah, I mean, we're just not sure who's going to step in at quarterback, and that's a big deal in a Mike Leach situation because he runs the air raid, and he relies on his quarterbacks to sometimes be smarter than he is in making those calls out on the field. So, yeah, Mike Leach is definitely a guy who puts a lot on his quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He's very much a guy who will call a play, and the play design is basically, here's the skeleton, quarterback, you make the decisions. Well, it reminds me a lot of our flag football games where it's just like before we'd break huddle, the call was basically get open and I'll get the ball to you. It's like, maybe oh, that's a, great. Maybe that's why we didn't win a lot of games. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might have had something to do with it. You know, it. the quarterback is going to be a huge question. Tyler Helensky, you know, God bless him, was expected to be the starter, had spent some time in the program, so they're they're kind of reeling from that. Obviously, that's going to be a huge emotional toll on the program. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say The, the other really, really big loss was Alex Grinch, the D.C., leaving for Ohio State. His name was great. What a great name for a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Such a good – that is a great name. Um, he actually did a pretty good job at making them respectable. You know, I'm not sure if a Mike Leach team is ever going to have a great defense. Mm. But, again, like we said, they made them good enough and respectable enough to play play into what they were, play into what they tried to do. You know, the starting quarterback is probably going to be Cameron Cooper. Or who's a true freshman, or Gard, Gardner Minshew? Oh, some names, Mike Leach. Come on, <laughs> they're on the West Coast. Recruit they're, some, recruit some Jonathan Smiths. They're picking up a lot of Hawaii guys. I'm sure. I don't know. Um, played at you know the grad transfer Minshew played at East Carolina, and what before initially committing to Alabama and then flipping to Washington State. Huh. He took quite a trip, huh? That is, yeah. Good figure. <laughs> you know, he's the offensive line struggled last year and lost three starters. I mean, again, Mike Leach, you know, he throws the ball quick, so he doesn't ask his linemen to do a lot. But mm-hmm. they weren't even good at doing what he asked them to do. Also, which, I, which Mike Leach is an offensive line coach by training, by the way. Really? Yep. Huh? I would not know that. If you ever get a chance, um, two really good books are "Swing Your Sword." Which is his autobiography? Yeah, which you, is you mentioned that one frequently. Which is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's another one called I believe it's Finding the Perfect Pass. Oh, okay. And oh. it's about him and how Mummy and their experience together, basically creating the air raid offense, hmm. taking the old Mouse Davis run and shoot and turning it into what we today see as the modern air raid. Huh, and now all the impacts that's had on the game. Yeah, since. I think that's one of the biggest things it touches at the end of the book is, especially in, say, like the Big 12, where the air raid is pretty much Everybody the standard the air raid. Yeah. So it's a really kind of fascinating. And Le- I mean, Leach himself is just one of the best characters in college football. He's a good guy. I can see why they wanted him at Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. 
You know, Leach has been really successful being out of the public eye at Texas Tech and at Washington State. I, I hope he stays there, and I do think he's done a good job. I do. I, I you just know, don't I mean, think... he's, he's 38 and 38, but again, Washington State's another one of those places that's just, you know, you want to talk about a middle of nowhere. I mean, it's in Pullman. Well, and this year, I guess the real struggle is going to be, like, honestly, I don't think Mike is going to have as much trouble on the field. It's just going to be all the off-the-field drama yeah. and carrying the emotional weight of all that. Yeah. It's just, like, it's going to be really hard. I mean, people don't think about that, but especially for a college team, it's going to be you really know, hard. Are there enough games to make a bowl game? Probably. I think so. Either they win their first three and then can beat Oregon State, Cal, and Colorado. You know, that puts them at six and six for a bowl game, which I think would be a pretty good accomplishment given, you know, given the loss of of the quarterback, given the talent that's gone, given the DC moving. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I love I love watch, watching Washington State when I get a chance. I'm a huge Mike, Mike Leach fan. Yeah, I watch them for like a play or two, and then I go to sleep. Yeah, as I say, because they're always in that like 10:30 Pac-12 yeah. after dark. Yeah, because like you said, they're the middle of the nowhere team in the Pac-12. All right, tell me about Cal. Why are you so high on Cal? I'm not. not. It's not that I'm high on Cal. It's that I'm low on Washington State. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, what what we got about Cal? I actually, I genuinely, at least some of these teams I have stuff to say about, I genuinely have nothing to say about Cal. So you take it away. Cal's quarterback is back, Ross Bowers. It was interesting to see what Bo Baldwin, the offensive coordinator, was able to do. He came over from Eastern Washington, known known to be an innovative guy, you know, which that's kind of how he made his name. He he will be – apparently there's going to be a quarterback battle. Brandon McElwain, the transfer from South Carolina, uh, is an athletic kid. I remember watching him play at South Carolina a little bit. Was this the – wasn't he the uh, – he left because the other guy was the coach's because, son or well, something? Because he left because Bentley beat him out and won the job. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, he lost one of his biggest wide receivers, Demetrius Robinson, transferred out. Yes, I, I'm familiar with that name, yeah. You know, that's going to hurt a lot. And, I mean, and again, it's, it's an offense that's predicated a lot on that. Not as aerated as they were under, say, Sonny Dykes. But, you know, their their first game of the year against North Carolina, I think, is really going to be a, a measuring stick game for both of those programs. Oh, Lord. Because, <laughs> you know, especially with UNC coming off their injury-rattled season and California training. You know, they won that game last year in Chapel Hill. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about this more next week when we talk about but UNC has picked some of the worst teams to start off their year. Against. Oh, I know they—they—they're they, like Virginia. Virginia, <laughs> for some reason, schedules like Oregon at Boise State and you know Purdue to start the season. Like, come on, Virginia. But yeah, uh, back to Cal. I think Cal could win that game. I'm looking at Cal's schedule right now. They go on the road to BYU. They get I, I, Ada, blech, Idaho State. Then they get an off game before they play Oregon. Honestly, I'm looking. So I count four definite wins. Uh, they could make a bowl game if they can flip a few games, like you know your UCLA. Oh no, yeah, like your North Carolina and UCLA. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the North Carolina game, the UCLA game, Washington State, Washington State will kind of be some games that really define if they can win win all of those. I could see a bowl game. I don't really see much more than that, honestly, just given how much better everyone else, you know, the big three in the North I is. I mean, you could even potentially throw in Oregon because they get that off week, I guess. But again, uh, I'm yeah, I'm really, I'm really bullish on Oregon. I think Oregon's going to be really good. Yeah, I just don't know. It's it's too it's too early to say right now. 
Um, okay, next up. So now we're getting into the interesting team, Stanford. Uh, I mean, we know what to say about Stanford. They've got a lot of talent on defense. They're a really good team. They've lost a bit of talent, but, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of like USC in a way where they're just constantly reloading. So, I mean, I feel like they're one of the top two contenders, the other obviously being Washington in the north. And I don't think anybody's expecting them to not be in competition this year. Uh, why don't you give us some more specifics? I mean, Bryce Love is back. That that alone is why you should watch Stanford games. I that know. is a grown-ass man. I, I wanted to say that, but I didn't know for sure. But yeah. I like from the fact that he wasn't taken in the draft, I was he, like, he, I assume. If I remember correctly, he chose to stay. Yeah, which is shocking. In I mean, man's age. gonna get a Stanford degree. <laughs> you know, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, they finally settled on a quarterback in KG, KJ Costello. Yeah, they kind of played musical quarterbacks a little bit last year. I think it hurt them. And I mean, you know, it hurt them. They went nine and five. Oh no! <laughs> I know, right? But they get some weapons back. JJ Arcega Whiteside, who I swear to God has been at Stanford for a decade. Sometimes I like wonder. Arcega, I swear Arcega Whiteside has been there I, for. I think, I think they ever. just change some player's name to Arcega Whiteside. Right? It's, like <laughs> always, it's always on the roster. Um. Are as previously spoken of, Osiris St. Brown. What position does he play? They're all wide receivers. Oh my god! At um at Stanford, will probably play a role in them. They've got to replace the offensive coordinator. Tavita Pritchard steps in, which that name sounds familiar because remember the year long, long ago when Stanford went in and beat USC. Back mm-hmm. when USC was really, really good and Stanford was garbage. Oh, you're talking about like when it first happened. Yeah. Oh, like way back. What year was that? That was like uh, 07 or 08 or something. I think so. Yeah. Well, Tavita Pritchard was the starting quarterback for that Stanford team. Huh. Oh, really? So he's uh, he's been on the staff for a couple of years there. So, you know, he's, he was promoted. He's actually been only at Stanford. He was a GA, a defensive assistant, the running backs coach, wide receivers quarterbacks coach, and now he's the OC quarterbacks coach. I mean, being a hero will do that for you. Yeah, well, and, you know, it means he's very well-versed in what David Shaw wants to do, which, you know, I bet you'll see a lot of what we see out of Stanford. Big, burly offensive, like we see out of Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Big, burly offensive linemen opening holes for running backs. I mean, that's the bottom line. If you got... It was 2007. Stanford was a 41-point underdog. If you've got love... 24-point. Oh, my God. If you got... 41-point. 41, sorry. But if you got love, yeah, I mean, I expect them to line up and run it down people's throats. Richard, unfortunately, was beaten out in 2009 by a redshirt freshman named Andrew Luck. Oh, wow. How did that happen? (laughs) But the funniest part about that is Stanford is one of those places where uh, the coaching position is endowed. Oh, really? Yeah, a couple of private schools have it that way. Um, I think a couple of public schools have kind of somewhat done that. It's not as not as common as the private schools. So they're like allowed to pass it pass it on. No, basically it's an endowed position. So if I'm a, a multi millionaire, oh. and instead of endowing a scholarship, you some schools will allow you to endow the position. Oh, okay, now I get it. Okay. So Tavita Pritchard's title is he is the Andrew Luck. Director of offense and the Kevin M. Hogan quarterbacks coach. Oh, okay. <laughs> now nah, I got you. Sorry, wrong, wrong terminology. Because 
Um, you know, David, a... David Shaw is the Bradford M. Freeman director of football. Lance sure. Anderson is the Willie Shaw director of defense. Sure, why not? Uh, Dwayne Aquina is the Couch family defensive backs coach. Uh. <laughs> so, like I said, it's something that you see a lot um, in private schools. I know a bunch of the Ivy Leagues but that's gotta are be, that way. That's got to be awkward for the guy to be like have his position named after the, the guy. guy that's <laughs> that is that is funny. I don't know if you'll see that many places, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think Stanford is going to be the biggest challenger for Washington. I think they're going to be really good. They're always good defensively. Lance Anderson's going into his fifth year as the defensive coordinator. They've got weapons on offense. They reload on the offensive line. Bryce Love is back. They've settled on a quarterback. I mean, in my mind, they have to go to Washington, which is going to be the big question. Well, they also got to Notre Dame, which is weird. Which Notre, Well, yeah, they play Notre Dame every year, though. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to affect them in conference. No. But they I'm have like, USC Week 2, which I think is going to be a really, really exciting game. Well, I guess my thing is, we're talking about a team that has a legit chance at a playoff run yes. if they win all their games. So you're looking at, at Notre Dame, and you're looking at, at Washington, and you're like, those to me are the big question games. You've also got at UCLA at the end of the year, which is kind of a weird one, but could potentially be a challenge. The rest of the games, other than maybe USC... USC, it comes on so early, I just don't know what to do about that. Yeah, they that. played USC early last year, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean even, even if you lose USC early in the year and you win the rest of your games, you and you beat USC again. Yeah. Uh, then, in, all, in all fairness, if they're undefeated going to the playoff, they better be the number one seed. Because that would have been an insane <laughs> schedule. And, I mean, they would have two wins over USC, Oregon, Notre Dame, Washington. All teams are expected to be really good. I can't say that yet because I don't know who else it is. Like, I don't know if it's fucking LSU or Texas A&M. I don't know. If they went undefeated. Look, you and, I, you and I both know that Alabama's winning the West. Yeah, okay, fine. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, point, point being, I do think Stanford could make a legit run if they don't get stopped by our next team, which is the Fighting Petersons at Washington. I'm actually – I've always been a huge Peterson fan since that uh, upset – you know, Boise State beat Oklahoma, yada yada yada. He just runs a very good. He runs very good programs. He's a fun guy to watch. His offenses are interesting. But yeah, he's done wonders at Washington. Washington's got a lot of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is kind of weird to say. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe their running back is returning, um, and they've got a very talented quarterback in Locke. Was it with an E? I don't. Am I got? I think I got that wrong. Talking about Jake Browning? Yeah, Jake Browning. You know, with an E. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Yeah. They. I mean, they had Jake Locker for a while. I feel like no. I feel like there's a Lock guy, but no, that's Missouri. Oh yeah. How do you confuse Missouri and Stanford? They both have a W. <laughs> Shut up. And no. <laughs> Washington. Why am I talking about Stanford still? <laughs> I got Stanford on the brain. Uh. But yeah. Andrew, obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I don't either. I still want to talk about Stanford. Take take it away. Maybe I'm just that high on Stanford. I mean, clearly so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jake Jake Browning's back. Miles Gaskins back. Which Gaskins. are two really really good players. Gaskins is the running back. They've got to replace all their wide receivers. The defense that's been really really good for the past couple of years has to replace some stuff, especially a linebacker. Yeah, they lost a lot at linebacker. They lost a, a big defensive tackle, defensive end. The secondary's pretty much coming back, which is going to be really, really helpful. 
you know, they signed a good class. Peterson's done a really, really good job with them. Uh, that first game of the year against Auburn is going to be a really interesting, exciting one to kind of see where they fit. I mean, that'll pretty much tell you where the season's going to stand. For both of them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they get Stanford at home. They have to go to Oregon. They miss USC, which is really helpful. Yeah, so their crossovers are Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, and UCLA. Yeah, I mean, honestly, their toughest games are Stanford and Oregon on the road, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you could argue Washington State on the road and Utah on the road, but I'm not seeing those as being terribly challenging. No. And then, of course, Auburn at the beginning of the year, that's out of conference, and Lord only knows. We had this discussion before the podcast. You never know what the hell you're going to get out of Auburn. Yeah, like I said, I think I think that game is going to be a big measuring stick for both teams. Kind of like the we talked about with the Cal-North Carolina game. I think that's going to be one where you get some questions as to, all right, which one of these is actually any good. The biggest problem, we've covered all the teams, right? Yep. All right, so the biggest problem that, that the Pac-12 has gotten itself into is it's really cannibalized each other the past couple of years. You haven't had a team that's really come out with less than two losses. Yeah. USC, if I remember correctly, had two losses last year coming out, which is why they got passed over for a playoff berth. Uh, I think they got passed over for a playoff berth because some dumb like political stuff. Yeah, because Ohio State got their position. It was yeah. it was really convoluted. Yeah, and that's and that's what I mean is they're they're a conference that even the best teams aren't as much better than say a Clemson or an Ohio State or an Oklahoma are that much significantly better than the rest of the teams in the conference. I think you've got some parity at that high end, Washington, Stanford, Oregon, USC, and then, you know, whoever else in the South decides to show up that time, that year. And so I think that's what's really kind of hurt them. And it's it's sad because, you know, I personally prefer more parity. I think it's more exciting. I think it's more fun to watch. But in terms of, you know, conferences wanting to get teams into the playoffs and be able to say, yeah, you know, the national champion came from our conference. Because if I remember correctly, I don't think the Pac-12s won a national title in the playoff era. Yeah, but they really haven't been in as many because Washington was the only Oregon, one that's... Oregon played for a title against Ohio State and got blasted. Yeah, Oregon and Washington were the only two, the only two that have gotten in. Yeah, yeah. And, and it didn't end well for either of them. Well, I guess that is kind of unique, too, in that the team out of their conference has always been different because... Uh, I mean, Big Ten's had Ohio State multiple times. They also and had Michigan, Michigan State, State once, but they got whopped. ACC has had Clemson Florida, and Florida State. Florida State and Clemson. And then there's Alabama and Oklahoma. That's pretty and much Georgia it. Georgia that one time. Oh, yeah. Georgia we don't about, really want to talk about that. Uh, okay. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I choose to forget them. But, yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. I think this is going to be a good year to see what the Pac-12 can do because they do have some potential contenders, especially if they can run the gambit, as long as they don't eat themselves. But... I mean, such is the risk. It's yeah, I think, again, I think the thing that does help Washington is missing USC, whereas Stanford does play USC. So I think that's going to be kind of a, a driving one because, you know, the last thing you want is USC. You know, Stanford beats USC the first game, trips up and loses another game, say to Washington, but still makes the championship, but then loses to, US, to a two-loss USC in the championship, and so again, you've got a, a, a Pac-12 champion with two losses yeah. who gets jumped over because you've got a one-loss Clemson or one-loss Ohio State. So who gets in at that point? Notre Dame. <laughs> Only if they have one or two losses. 
Which I mean, I mean, Notre, I mean, Dame, I mean, Notre Dame, in my mind, Notre Dame plays a good enough schedule most years that a one loss Notre Dame could get into a playoff, and I wouldn't really have an argument against yeah, it. Yeah, also, you know, the AP poll just out there sucking that good. I mean, there's a lot of teams that the AP poll does that too, and it's not just Notre Dame. <coughs> let me, Georgia. let me. And it's, not, the it's, sound, and it's not just Georgia either. That's the sound of him raising his glasses ever so slowly. <laughs> Flourishing while I make a point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. All right. um, championship game, I think it's going to be... USC and Washington. USC-Stanford in a rematch. Okay, fine. I'm going to take USC-Washington. I mean, really, I could go either way on that. Stanford, we made a very compelling argument for. But really, it's just because we didn't really talk about Washington. We were like, we know what Washington has. They have great weapons on offense, and they've got a defense that needs to play Yeah, you know, gaps. Peterson's done a great job. Like I said, uh, Browning and Gaskins are seniors who've all started since they were freshmen. And it really kind of been a huge part of that rebuild for Peterson. So take your pick. I mean, basically. That's yeah, what it comes like I said, to. I mean, I think the other thing is Stanford having to play USC week two, I think it's going to play a role as well. I, I will say Stanford, I think, has the harder schedule overall. But I think Stanford's the better team. But, yeah. But as we've learned in the Pac-12, a lot of times that doesn't really matter. Also, Stanford has to go to Washington. So, yeah. I mean, even if you're the better team, are you going to be the better team that day? Yeah. All right. You got anything else to add? Um, was the chocolate beer good? It was delicious. All Thank right. You. Well, I'll have to try it out some other time. But, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's all we got, folks. Thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. And if you have any questions, shoot us an email at the new Slither at gmail.com. And check out our Twitter account at TomeetSleather. Hashtag donuts. I don't know how to use Twitter. I have a Twitter. I think I've tweeted like four times in the eight years I've had a Twitter account yeah. so i don't really use it i probably should but i don't really have a lot of hot takes plus twitter is a cesspool of evil and horrible horrible things i mean so i really don't want to get involved in it the people on twitter they're trying to take kd down don't you hear <laughs> that kd's doing a good enough <laughs> job of trying to take himself down but yeah no what was, what was the funny joke i said kd's that guy that like walks up on a scene where three guys are beating up an old dude yeah like walks away comes back and helps him beat up the old guy <laughs> and then talks about how like they persevered and beat up the old man. <laughs> I don't know. I liked... Uh, who was it? It was the guy out of uh, Dallas. Um, what's his name? Dirk. It was Dirk. Dirk. Dirk went out on Twitter and was like, I don't know why KD is saying all this stuff. <laughs> you just need to shut up. <laughs> it's like, just smile and take it. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that KD had like multiple burner accounts... With which to argue with people with, online. With high schoolers. Yeah, like, I mean, the dude's obviously one of the best players in the NBA, but... My policy is when you get up to a certain pay grade, it, you should not be arguing with high schoolers. <laughs> like, I, I don't think you should ever argue with high schoolers, unless you are a high schooler yourself. Once you graduate from high school, you should never argue with high schoolers again. Look, man, when you're, if you're a burnout stoner, then I'm not one to judge. Well, oh, actually, I, I probably should be one to judge I, that. I, I will admit, I am one of the most judgy people on the planet. All right. Anyway, thanks as, always to, our, thanks as always to our listeners for listening and tuning in. And have a good rest of your night. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.